You're listening to the Chi Alpha Christian Fellowship Podcast from Summit 2019 with sessions from San Angelo State, New Mexico State, and Texas Tech University. We are so glad you're here, and we hope this message will encourage you and challenge you in your walk with the Lord. Friends who talk to me. So, you are those friends in this session. My name is KP. Please tell me all of your names. Wow, it's so nice to meet all of you. I love it. Okay, so I have a very important question to ask you. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. Is that the question? No, I have two important questions to ask you. What came first, the chicken or the egg? Chicken. Chicken. What? There's a story. I love it. How many would say chicken? Ooh. How many would say egg? Ooh, pretty divided. Okay. Okay, next one. Pineapple on pizza. Yeah! Wow, got some? Wow. That's, that's like against the law. No. Against the law? Wow! Wow! I am a fan of this one. But steak with Skittles? Steak with Skittles? He's like, man, that is a very harsh argument. Oh, man. That is extreme. Okay, my last one. Mac or PC? Okay, Mac? Okay, PC? Wow, I feel like you guys are very, very divided. Crazy. I love it. Okay, so clearly we are very passionate about things. Some more than others. But passion isn't a bad thing. But can you imagine how boring life would be if nobody had passions? It would be so lame. I am very passionate about a lot of things. One of them being glitter. You can never have too much. But also another passion that I have is how badly I think this is the worst cookie on the planet. I believe this, look how big this is. This takes up way too much room on store shelves. I love it. You are my people. 
I am the baby in my family. I have an older sister. And we had an argument and a fighting match that happened through all of our childhood, basically. I don't know how many years this actually went on, but um, we had a fear, I think, of being alone. Not just alone, but alone in the back seat of the car. Oh, yeah, <laughs> and I, you know what? I know this because whenever we would be going somewhere, and it'd be like, oh, just my mom, me and my sister, or my dad, me and my sister, we would turn into marathon athletes, like sprinting to the front seat of the car. It would just be like, hot, go. And it was like, <laughs> hey. But the thing is, we weren't smart enough to get the keys. So we would be at the door, and then it would be like wrestling match now. And see, she's taller than me, but I'm like littler. And I use my elbows. I play dirty, you guys. <laughs> and we would hear the sound of a mock click. But somebody had to open the door. And whoever didn't open the door got to like, Oh, a dive into the front seat. That is what happened. Basically, anytime we went anywhere, that one of us got to sit up front. And you see, there would always be a loser. And the loser had the walk of shame. Two steps into the back seat. Always. And you see, what blows my mind is this was probably one of our longevity arguments, fights, that we were both so passionate about. And in hindsight, we were going to the same place with the same people. And we would arrive at the same time. And we could even talk the same amount, no matter where we were in the car. But we were so passionate about this. And one day, I don't really remember when this happened, but my mom said, enough is enough. Kristen? You get even days, Kaylee, you get odd days, and that is that. So, honestly, until we graduated high school or until Kristen started driving, we had even and odd days where we sat in the front seat. How sad is that? But that was reality. It was the silliest argument. Silliest argument. I love it. But, so, that was my silly argument for childhood. Have any of y'all been in the same boat with me, oh, fighting yeah. about silly things? I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'm glad that I'm not alone. And you know what's really exciting is we are not alone. The disciples argued about really silly things as well. Do any of you like recall any of the silly arguments that the disciples had? Who's the greatest? Okay, what else? Who do you just love the most? Okay, any others? Those are the two that come most to mind. You are absolutely right. So in Matthew 20, 20 through 28, we see one of these. James and John, they were brothers. And you know what is really funny? Is they brought their mom into this argument. So the three of them walked up to Jesus and said, Hey, what's up, Jesus? One day you are going to be in heaven with your new kingdom and somebody is going to have to sit by you. Who's it going to be? 
Their mom is in on this. What? Silliest argument. And then the other one, you guys called it in Luke 22. All of the disciples were in on this one. And they said, Jesus, who is the greatest? And Jesus did not point their finger at them, which was crazy. So it gives me so much encouragement that these guys spent so much time with Jesus. They were in face-to-face conversations with them. Jesus taught them constantly. And you know what? They still missed some of the biggest things that he talked about. We are in good company. And you know what? They argued about who was the greatest and who would be sitting next to Jesus. So I think I am safe to say that if the disciples were here with us, with me and my sister, they would have been cheering me on to get that front row seat in the car. So that is what I'm sticking with. But in both of these arguments, like I said, Jesus did not point his finger and say past, like, how dumb you are for arguing about this. But constantly he said, okay, here's where you're looking. I want to change your glance this way. This is the bigger picture. This is the more important thing that you're missing right now. Thank you, Jesus. He does this for them. He does this for me. And he does this for us. His bigger picture constantly was that he had to drink the cup so that the Father could be revealed. And he said, love each other well. And then he said, be a slave and be a servant so that people get to know me. So, are passions wrong? No. Sometimes they're just misplaced. And sometimes we need to do exactly what the disciples had to do, is to fix our gaze back onto Jesus and ask him what is the most important thing. And then have him remind us where to put our passions. So some things are worth fighting for. Some things are worth standing for. And even some things are worth dying for. But sometimes we need to pause and make sure that our hearts and our minds are aligned with Jesus to make sure we're not trying to die over something as little as being in the same car in a seat, going to the same place with the same people. So... This caused us to ask, what was Jesus passionate about? Jason Bell told us this morning. (laughs) Who remembers? Do you remember? Us. Us. Yes. People. People always won Jesus' argument. When he said, what is the most important, it was always us. So he spent... Three years doing ministry, showing the disciples how. And he gave them last words before he went away. And it was a pretty big ask of us. But he said, you have a mission. And this is what it is. Who has a very loud booming voice? Joash. You got thrown under the bus. Can you read this? Awesome. So this was the last thing Jesus said. How many of you know normally the last thing that somebody says is usually the most important? This is what Jesus' last words were. It was an action step for us. It was 
go. And normally what we do is we can take on an apathetic spirit and say, Jesus meant this for everyone but me. I am not the pastor of my Chi Alpha group, so it's not for me. I'm not a small group leader. This isn't for me. I'm not a missionary. It's not for me. I, that's for, that's for them. But Jesus said this to his disciples, which means the disciples were just followers and learners after Jesus, which means if you have said yes to Jesus, you are a disciple of him, which means the importance and the weight of this being said to them is equally as important as it being said to you. So you can imagine being in the crowd and having Jesus say this command to you, and it's that much importance. Like, literally all authority in heaven is to you. Go. That is what it's like. So he gave us a command, but then he gave us a promise. And he said, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So cool. So we have agreed that we can relate to the disciples. But have you ever read the disciples' stories or missionary stories or, or our ODGs and been like, uh, my life and your life doesn't add up. Like, it's not the same. Like, the way that you view all of this is way different than the way I view all of this. Have you ever felt that way? I have. So we talk about ODGs a lot, and this is just people who have most likely died already that have lived their life well for Jesus. They have ran their race so strong, and now their words are in books for us to read. And it's only for us to be able to spark wonder, for us to make sure we do not have an apathetic spirit. So here is an example. The Moravians. This guy, Nicholas Zinzendorf, Dorf, he is incredible. There's a whole movement that is around him, and he had a desire just to know Jesus more. And he, this whole movement started with love people better. That's how it started, with one vision of loving people better, and then his desire to have an outpouring of the Holy Spirit amongst them. How many of you have ever been praying in your room for five minutes and it feels like an eternity? Okay, I have. When it's like, oh, I've been doing this for so long, and it's like, oh, it's been two minutes. Well, this guy started a prayer meeting that lasted for a hundred years. A hundred years. His passion for Jesus erupted onto everyone else around him, and it turned into a prayer meeting that did not cease for a hundred years. And this passion grew not just for Jesus, not just to know him more, but it was rooted in the idea to evangelize to the world. And two of the people within this movement, one was named John Dober and the other David, both of them were normal people. One was a potter and one was a carpenter. And they said, this is worth it. To love people well, it's worth my life. It's worth everything. And they sold themselves into slavery 
they got on a slave ship and they waved goodbye to their friends and family forever because they were sold into slavery. And as they were sailing away, they said, May the lamb that was slain receive the reward for his suffering. That was their passion. Was it their passion for Jesus was one? And then right under that was their passion for others. Another amazing lady, Corey Tin Boom. How many of you have heard her story before? Awesome. She's incredible. At the age of 48, World War II happened. And her family lived in a house, and they started hiding people in their house. And eventually, they were caught, and her and her sister were sold, or went into the same concentration camp. Crazy things happened to her and her sister. But both of them survived. And as they, she walked out, her relationship with Jesus stayed so steady, so strong. And now she is known for being a teacher of forgiveness. The worst thing that has ever happened to her and what she comes out is Jesus loves you and he forgives you and so do I. What? And then my man, G. Campbell Morgan, he is known for being a man of the word. At the age of 13, he preached his first sermon, but he had no real training. He just had a devotion to study the scriptures. And one, in one conversation, he was asked, so, how do you study the Bible? And he looked and he's like, you know what? If I told you, you wouldn't do anything about this. So I'm not going to tell you. And the guy who asked was like, wait, what? I, I really want to know this. Have you ever asked your small group leader, how do you study the Bible? And then they tell you and you're like, oh, that's too much dedication. Have you? I have. <laughs> He said, okay, okay, I'll tell you. He said, I read a book through 40 to 50 times before I start studying it. <clears throat> Wait, what? He read a book 40 to 50 times before he even started diving deeper into how to study it. That is crazy. Are there books of the Bible that you haven't even read yet? crazy it's crazy but this is the passion that led him to become the man of the word that we know him today and there's so many others so those are just some odgs but what happens when we read the book of acts there's some crazy stuff in there so acts basically starts with this verse that says those who believe were of one heart and soul and no one said that any, okay, I'm really sorry, I can't read. Those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. The community that you're in right now, can you say that we're of one heart and soul, and everything that I have is yours, and everything you have is mine? I know that I have not said that. I have not completely surrendered that to be, everything common and then as we go down the list acts is insane please read it it's an incredible book here's just some of the stuff that happens the apostles were arrested and freed i have never been arrested before paul eliminates an ananias and sapphira 
Okay, cool. Then the Great Commission was launched through the stoning of Stephen. I've never seen any of my friends stoned for the gospel before. Okay, next. James was killed and Peter was imprisoned. Cool. Paul runs into a riot in Ephesus. Paul raises somebody from the dead. I have never done that before. Have you? And then Paul sails from Rome and is shipwrecked. That's just a few things that happened in Acts. How can we read this? These stories of so much faith, these stories of so much passion, and then just say, okay, my life is supposed to relate to this? Have you ever asked that question? Like, I'm a Christian, they're a Christian, I have a Bible, they have a Bible, but their life and my life does not look the same. Or what even if we start comparing ourselves to people really around us? Your small group leader, or your campus pastor, or your resource leaders, or other missionaries that come and visit. Like, we can't have the attitude of because it might not be the same. We can't compare our chapters, but Jesus is so faithful to show up, and he's just asking you to have a deeper relationship with him. It's so exciting. The stories that we read about, you can become an ODG one day. Your life can be so incredibly full of faith that we get to share about your story to somebody else. And that is exactly how we have these testimonies and how we have acts is because it was just they were living off so much of Jesus that they changed their world. It's so cool. So, I have a question for you. What is our definition of love? If Jesus asks us to love each other well, how do we know if we're doing that? Does anybody know our Chi Alpha definition of love? What? Maybe? I see your hand. You are absolutely right. Can you say it really loud, though? Unselfishly. Unselfish. It's unselfishly. It's unselfishly. Yes, love is that was a test. That was a test. Yes. Love is unselfishly choosing for the highest good of God and his kingdom or someone else. So when we choose to love someone well. We are making a constant choice in our brains to say, I will love you. I will lay down my rights, and I will fight for what is the best for you. We have examples of this. Your small group leader has probably done this in some way for you. You may not have realized it yet, but think about it. And we get to do this for somebody else. So, if that is what love looks like, what is the opposite of love? Selfishness? Okay. What else? What are other thoughts? Huh? Pride. Okay. So commonly people say hate. What do you say? Here's love, then you have hate. Would you agree? Huh? Yes? Okay. 
cool thing is hate is not the opposite of love because hate is an emotion. It is just as much of a choice as saying you're going to love somebody. So the correct thought process is apathy because with apathy, there is no emotional response in your brain towards that thing at all. So the definition of apathy is a lack of interest, lack of enthusiasm, or concern. It's unresponsive. It's passive. It's detachment. So from us learning from Jason Bell this morning of how much Jesus loves people, can you see how it breaks Jesus' heart when we are on our campuses and we walk through our campus or our student union buildings and have no emotional response to the people around us. When we walk through our classes and say, I'm doing this to get my A, it doesn't matter where you're from, what you're doing. When we have that apathetic heart, I believe it breaks Jesus' heart so deeply. Because we are looking at his child or his lost lamb that he wants back into his family and it's saying, you are not worth my time. We have to get into a place where we can surrender this thought process and rectify this in our hearts so we can align with Jesus. So the most important things to him become our most important things. So what I, one thing I love, love, love about Jesus is he does not give us a command without giving us instruction. So everything we have for a godly life, we have. We just have to take the time to like dig into it and to understand it and then to walk in it. So he gave us the great, uh, sorry, he gave us the great commission and he said, go. And at the end of this, he said, I'm with you always. We know these things. In John, we have a really cool picture of Jesus praying to the Father for us. He knows what's coming. He knows that he's been with the disciples for three years and they still don't understand this concept of loving others well. They are still arguing over who's going to sit by him and who is going to be the greatest. And Jesus is saying, Father, help them. Help them. And so we have this section of scripture that is talking about abiding. And it says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you will bear much fruit. And so to prove that you are my disciples, as my father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments. Abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and my joy, may, your joy may be full. So, he has repeated this command again, that not only he says abide, what does abide mean? It means spending extravagant time and intimacy with Jesus. That when we are spending so much time with him, it causes us to automatically live out the Great Commission. 
when we abide with him, it makes us become fruitful. And in this picture of fruitfulness, it means making disciples. So when we're spending extravagant time with Jesus, automatically we can go onto our campus and have a conversation, and Jesus is already working in that person. And that person, can it just starts a relationship. Do you see what this? how this happens? Jesus knew the strategy that he needed for us. So he said, abide with me. I will make you fruitful. And then also, I will make you joyful. So this great commission that seems so scary and so daunting, you'll have joy in it. You'll have peace in it. It will be really easy because I'm with you always. So... Right after Jesus said, go, he told the disciples to wait. Hmm, that's interesting. Go, but hold on one second. Just, just wait up. He said, I have a gift for you. And we see this gift in Acts 1-8. And it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He never gave us a commandment without giving us a strategy. And he said, you need the Holy Spirit. I'm leaving, and this is how you will be able to fulfill the Great Commission. So once you are abiding in me, you are getting filled up, and then you get more power so that you can fulfill the Great Commission. Do you see how this works? Yeah. It's, it's a pattern. So, this is so cool. When we're coming from Jesus' gaze, knowing how much he loves people, he gives us everything that we need to be able to do it. But one thing that we do when we have an apathetic heart, this is kind of a litmus test. When we're reading scripture, it can become really selfish if our gaze is not fixed rightly on Jesus. One of the most common ways that, one of the verses that most commonly happens, this happens with, is Luke 11. Have you guys ever heard this before? And I ask you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. Have you ever heard this verse? Have you ever heard this verse regarding your desires? If there's something you want, just ask for it. Just pray about it. Have you ever heard this? Yes? No? Yes. This is the commonly way all through, like, high school when I was getting ready to go to college, when I was like, oh, I don't know if this if this is what I should be doing. People were like, well, if it's that desire of your heart, just ask so you can knock. God will open the door for you. This is not talking about you at all. It is talking about reaching the lost. The next portion of this, this is, this is why we have to be people who study the word. Because when you keep reading, you see the unselfishness that happens. So, what father among you, if his son asked for a fish, would give him a scorpion? Or if he asked for an egg, 
sorry. Give him a fish. Ask for a fish, give you a serpent. Ask for an egg, would give him a scorpion. If then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So Jesus is saying, ask, seek, and knock. Yes. But even really bad parents still know how to give good gifts to their kids. But guess what? When you come to me, I will give you more of the Holy Spirit. And what did we learn from Acts? We got the Holy Spirit so that we could have more power to witness. This is a full circle. Jesus' strategy. So, when we align our hearts with Jesus, crazy things get to happen. It's so fun. So how do we truly have the antidote for apathy forever? Can it really be this simple? Here is a clip. this movie any national treasure fans i love it so benjamin gates he's a treasure hunter what he didn't know is that he had the key to unlock this room that where the treasure was held the whole time he might not have known how all the clues fit together but he had the final piece and so do we because Jesus has given it to us already. We just have to put it together. So the antidote for apathy for the rest of your life is right here. You need a real devotional life. You need real brotherhood or sisterhood. And you need real responsibility. And by real, I mean it is self-initiated. If you only have a devotional life because your small group leader or your campus pastor has said to, you will not last long. That motivation will only last as long as they ask you about it. The minute that they stop asking what you're reading or if you have gone to get another book, you'll stop. I know I have done this in the past. Real brotherhood and sisterhood, if your small group leader is the only one asking you to hang out and you're not asking them to hang out, those hangouts will only last as long as you're being asked to hang out. Same with your small group. Are you friends with them because you actually care about them or because you're being told to care about them? That means those relationships are only going to last through college. And then when you go off wherever you're going to live forever, 
you might not ever talk to them again. And real responsibility is if you do not, if you're not responsible for things, you stop growing. So let's dig in a little bit deeper. What is a real self-initiated devotional life? What does this look like? It's learning how to feed ourselves well with Jesus. It's abiding. Extravagant time with Jesus. Intimate time with Jesus. It's us growing in grace and knowledge of God. So if you do not have a prayer life, I'm not asking you to have one, a prayer meeting for the next 100 years. But I am asking you to set a goal. Maybe that's you getting a map and putting missionaries on it from all over the place. Or getting a prayer app that says how, like, what to pray for in a day. Maybe it's writing all of your small group members' names on it and praying for them daily. Make a goal. Tell your small group leader about it so they can hold you accountable to it, but then you achieve that goal. What about studying? If you're not reading right now, if you don't have this kind of devotional life, once again, set a goal. Go to the bookstore this weekend. Get a book. Ask your small group leader if you don't know what kind of book to get. Maybe you need to pick a book of the Bible and read it start to finish for an entire week. Commentaries are great. G. Campbell Morgan is a great person to get a commentary of. He read books of the Bible hundreds of times before he wrote those commentaries. But the thing is, is for us to want to have wisdom, knowledge, and other people's experiences so that it sparks wonder in us. It's so cool. So, real brotherhood and sisterhood. We are not meant to walk this journey alone but also we are meant to bring people with us mary gotro who's here this weekend she's incredible says this these are friends these friends are people who will love us enough to tell you the truth and redirect us if need be but also just to encourage us as we seek to live how god asks us to live you guys loving really well can be really hard sometimes. And we need people around us to encourage us, but then also to call us out when we're doing some not fun things. And it's okay. We need each other. We, we need that refining to happen. And it happens through community. So my plea to each one of you is to be in small group and make small group a priority. Be vulnerable. Be transparent. Make sure that you have real brotherhood and sisterhood. It changes so much. Lastly, real responsibility. How many of y'all are freshmen? This is your first time living alone at college. I'm so proud of you. You have made it this far. You're doing a great job. Some of you have learned for the first time how to do laundry, how to make your bed, how to cook and clean up after yourself. So much has happened in the short amount of time that you've been at college. And how sad would it be if when you get home for winter break, you're like, whatever. My mom can clean up after me. She can cook for me. She can do all my laundry. I just have to lounge around. That would be so sad because you 
have like gained independence and that would be like stealing back your dependency does that make sense so we learned that when we don't have responsibility in something we stop growing and we are supposed to be learners for the rest of our lives so in college you have learned responsibility of task and now as you are walking with Jesus there's an even bigger responsibility on us. And it's the responsibility of bringing people into the kingdom of God with us. We are not meant to walk into eternity alone, but we're supposed to be able to look to the right and the left and be like, I, we, we are here, all of us. So we must never take lightly the great responsibility everyone has for people to win a soul. It is not an accident that you are in your classes with the students you're in classes with or your roommate or the people on your floor. Jesus has orchestrated that. He has put you there for a reason and he has put you there so that you can tell them about him. That's so exciting. So be mindful of the people around us. Minister to them. Serve them. Share your faith with them. Pray for them. Fight for them. Because maybe you're the only person who ever will. And that would be really sad. So, this is the antidote. Real devotional life. Real brotherhood and sisterhood. And real responsibility. I love it. So, can I ask everyone in this room, especially if you're not a small group leader, if you're a small group leader, please still be honest, but can we have a vulnerable and transparent moment? How many would say having a real devotional life is probably the harder of these three? Okay. Kurt, right? Okay, I have a question for you. How do you think having a daily devotional life and abiding would change the priority of your life? Yeah, absolutely. So, I have gold in my hand. This is Mary Gotro's book. She is Eli Gotro's wife. And they started the Kyle at Sam Houston State, which is how all three of our Kyle formed many, many, many years later. She wrote a book of how to walk with Jesus. So, this, she's not dead. being vulnerable and transparent in your small group would change the atmosphere within our community. I think, so, my small group is really vulnerable and transparent, which I love, but, because um, you know it's Diana, but, <coughs> yeah. I think, if we can do that in small group, then we can do that beyond small group, and uh, I, it's a good step for me, because I'm, like, really not like that in general, so, I, yeah, small group is a good first step. I don't know if it no, it's so did. Okay. 
what I have for you. Is this is my least favorite cookie on the planet, but other people love it. So, I'm giving these to you, and your task is to take these cookies, share them with your small group, and even other people in the girl community, and you start the trend of being vulnerable and transparent and get to know your small group better, okay? Cool. And who would say real responsibility is what's the hardest? The idea of saying there's somebody on campus that you need to bring into community, that would be the harder thing. Yeah? Uh, because it's only at Yeah. Cheyenne, for you, I have a Starbucks card. Now, your job is to go into your classes or around tech, and you will get to find somebody and be friends with them. And you're going to take them to coffee, and you are pouring yourself out for them. You're going to get to know them and bring them into your small group family and then into your tech family. So you're not doing it alone, but they are going to become your responsibility. So, can we do this? The great commission that Jesus said, go. Can we do this? Yes, we can. It's so cool. And the cool thing is, all of you who got something, you're not alone. Please, to finish your task, if you need help, ask for it. You're not doing this alone. But it's so cool. So, did this session change somebody's heart? Yes? Yes? Okay, you. What is a takeaway that you're taking away? What are you taking out? Not having it? already have a summit shirt. Okay, does anybody not have a summit shirt that wants a summit shirt? If you can trade it. I saw your hand first. What is a takeaway that you have that you're taking away? Not you. No, the lovely lady in front of you. Thanks for listening to this Chi Alpha podcast from Summit 2019. Be sure to check out the rest of the sessions, and we'll see you next year. Chi Alpha, baby!